blue skies and sunshine what a day and plenty going on on rte radio one this is playback daily i'm carol moran and here's what you might have missed i mean i don't want to be wrecking people's buzz i know no morning ireland has a bit of a reputation for that that we could you know even even make bad news out of a, a, a spell of settled weather but um what are you saying to people what are your concerns and we're not in the business either of wrecking people's buzzes, but nothing is more surefire to wreck everybody's buzz uh, than a fire. And now she's back looking at the four walls of the house day in, day out. It's like Groundhog Day for her and it's like Groundhog Day for us as well, to be honest with you. And it's just not fair. What do you think of this music? I hate it. I should ban him anywhere. <laughs> I wouldn't get him nearer than Castle <laughs> Island. And we'll start on the live line. Joe was talking to Yvonne about living with Lewy body disease. Well, I've got Parkinson's disease. I was diagnosed uh, 56. That's just over four years ago. Okay. Um, and within the first year of having Parkinson's disease, I got a double diagnosed with dementia issues. Okay. So it's looking towards I've got a Lewy body ah. um, dementia with the Parkinson's disease. And that's where I'm at, Joe. Now, if it's have you heard of these people say if you have dementia, onset dementia, do crosswords? I'd never heard this learn a second language, though we're hearing it now. Do wordle? Does that apply to your condition? Um, well, it, it has never been said to me. It's been tried to keep active, um, keep yeah. exercising, and like like doing like reading as much as you can and doing quizzes is, is good for Parkinson's, okay. especially for the cognitive side of things. Um, but I'm more medicated now okay. to try and slow the process down. The, the 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 cognitive side of things are going a bit quicker than the Parkinson's. And tell us about Louis Body. Well, not a lot of people know about Louis Body, but I I know a good bit about it. It's, it's called LBD. Okay. Um, it's initialed LBD, um, and there is a, a lot of research now going into it to try and um, understand it. And there's no scan out there to show them that you have Louis bodies in your brain. Okay. They have to wait till you die, and you have to donate your brain or get an autopsy done. Ah. And and then they're they only can actually treat the symptoms, but they cannot. They haven't got a biomarker yet. It's it's too complex. It's more complex dementia than Alzheimer's. Okay. So what what are the different symptoms of Lewy body dementia as opposed as opposed to other dementia? Well, Lewy body dementia it means that your short term memory is affected very quickly. Okay. Um, and then you have fluctuations of energy. Um, mood swings, um, and you have hallucinations. Hallucinations. You have hallucinations. That's a, a real biomarker for a Lewy body. And um, I, I got them in one year of being diagnosed with Parkinson's. And is that is that dreams or nightmares or is it's, it... it's both. It's both. It's um, REM sleep disorder behaviour is what I have. It means you act out your dreams. At night, so you 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 know you move, you kick your partner. God help your partner, but it's hard for the the caregiver and the partner. Um, and that's Louis. That's Louis body as well. That comes in very early on in Parkinson's. And then the the other type of hallucination you might see an animal on the floor, or you might see children. I would see children. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and basically, you know, I, I, the worst one I ever had was I was eating in breakfast and there was a bowl of muesli in front of me and I looked down at the bowl of spiders. So they're but not... But they have treated me with okay. that. They but, but just treat to, you well with... But just to be clear, they're not dreams. They are hallucinations. You see animals on the floor of your bedroom. Yeah. You see yeah. spiders in your yeah. cereal bowl. Yeah, they're real at the moment when you see them. But when they occur first, they're normally very nasty. Okay. And then they kind of, you, your your mind then knows that they're really not there, but they're there. Um, so, you know, um, I've, I've been treated for that. So they're, they're, they're not as severe as they were. And okay. also your sense of um, presence. You think someone's walking beside you or someone's in the your apartment and, you know, your yeah. sense of presence with somebody else is there. And that's another hallucination. And is that, and fr- is that, is that frightening, Yvonne? Yeah, it was. Like, I, I mean, I went from a very positive, energetic, you know, happy-go-lucky. Mm. Um, and that has changed me a lot. It's made me more... Um, Frightened, and I feel very alone in this disease. And Joe asked Yvonne about a fundraiser she's doing. But tell us, Yvonne, the, the fundraising event. What are you doing? How do people? Well, how do people give you money? And um, well, I'm on the the, the matter website. They Brilliant. have me up on their web, and it's it's, it's www.gofundme.com. Yvonne okay. skydive. Yvonne. Um, so tell us, you're doing a skydive. I'm doing. I'm jumping out of a plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And how many times have you previously alighted from a plane at 7,000 feet? Never. It's actually (laughs) 13,000. 13,000 feet? Yeah, it's 13. Roughly, they can bring you up as far as weather permitting now. (laughs) Yeah. And when do you hope to do this? I'm doing it on the 17th of June. Oh, my God. The day after Bloom's uh, the 17th (laughs) of June. (laughs) You're going to go um, 13,000 feet. And the free fall, I think, is about 35 seconds. Great. You're going to jump out of the plane with a parachute, of course. And um, is this, is is, is June the 17th a special day, date, day? It is, well, I'll be 60. Wow. Brilliant. And so it's it's doing it for for that as well. Well, And I want to leave a legacy behind me for my grandchildren. Okay, well, 60 now is very, very young. Very, very young. And, uh, Remember the great, the biggest, I'm just looking at the census again, it's mesmeric, all the stats. The biggest increase in age group in the census is over 70s. We've The number of people over 70 in Ireland has gone up by 26% in five years. Well, the number yeah. of people aged between 25 and 34, to give an example, has gone down by 4%. So there's a lot, a lot of people in this country... Uh, over 70 a lot of people and it's increasing yeah. increasing dem- uh, dramatically so people go on to the matter the matter hospital Dublin obviously yeah, go, go on to the me. go for me go for me and it's going to go towards research um, and all the services that they supply down okay. there are just fantastic fair place where that's Yvonne on the live line with Joe Duffy 
and on Morning Ireland. Great weather, but some warnings about water and fire safety. According to Met Erin, the fine dry weather is due to continue with temperatures this week rising to 24 degrees. Many, many people will be enjoying this settled spell, but there are risks. The National Parks and Wildlife Service has appealed to people not to light fires or barbecues in public places, while the RNLI is urging us to be safe in the water. Niall O'Donoghue is Director General of the National Parks and Wildlife Service. He's with us here in Dublin. And Killian O'Kelly is Water Safety Education Manager with the RNLI. He's in our Waterford studio. Good morning to you both. Let's start with you, Niall O'Donoghue. I mean, I don't want to be wrecking people's buzz. I know no Morning Ireland has a bit of a reputation for that, that we could, you know, even, even make bad news out of a, a, a spell of settled weather. But um, what are you saying to people? What are your concerns? Good morning, Rachel, and thank you for the opportunity to talk to you this morning. And we're not in the business either of wrecking people's buzzes, but nothing is more surefire to wreck everybody's buzz uh, than a fire in uh, a high nature value area that gets out of control. So our message this morning is very simple. We are looking forward to seeing you in your droves over the coming weeks and especially this weekend with the weather so nice. We look forward to welcoming welcoming families uh, Uh, to our national parks and our nature reserves. But we are asking you not to light fires. Very, very simply, don't light fires, leave the barbecue at home and leave no trace so that those that come to us next weekend can enjoy the same ambience in nature that you enjoy. And in recent years then, has this been a problem during fine weather? It's been a problem in recent days. Uh, It's certainly been a problem in recent uh, years. Over the weekend, um, our rangers and and general operative staff uh, in Wicklow were were very busy with the fire services quenching a fire in in the Raven, uh, which relit um, and is now thankfully under control. Uh, Our rangers in Mayo um, and in Killarney discovered several fires, uh, pit fires, uh, and they put them out before any damage was done. And again, the appeal is do not light a fire and in that in that context I want to uh, uh, acknowledge uh, the role that our staff on the ground uh, play in detecting these fires so you know the first the first uh, challenge is prevention the second challenge is detection Mm. and then the third challenge is suppression and we've had all of those challenges in the last number of days and I would also ask the public visiting and we we want to enlist uh, the public in this if you see a fire contact our staff uh, or contact the fire services and our staff are readily recognisable in their um, navy uh, blazers and all of that and please let us know and particularly young people and do remember that you are a visitor to these parks we're delighted at the opportunity to visit you but they are home uh, to to uh, ground nesting birds small mammals and vertebrates that you can't even mm. see. Nilo Dunnacue and Killian O'Kelly of the RNLI also spoke to Rachel. Let's bring in Killian O'Kelly, who's Water Safety Officer and Education Manager with the RNLI, as I said. He joins us from Waterford this morning. Have you noticed an increase in calls in recent days? Well, we, similar to Nile, uh, when the good weather comes in, loads of people flock to our inland waterways and the coast. Um, we have had several calls in the last two weeks. We've had calls for boats that have had engine failures and we've had calls for kayakers that have got in difficulty. Um, some of those calls have been uh, phoned in to 999 by members of the public and some of them have been called in directly by, by the casualty vessels themselves. Um, 
when the weather gets good, more people go in the water. We want people to go in the water and we want people to to have fun on our inland waterways and our coast. But uh, similar to now, we want them to do it safely. There's a couple of key things there, key piece of advice we'd give, you know, simple as wear a life jacket or a buoyancy aid if you're engaging in water sports. Stand up paddle boarding and kayaking and swimming have all got very popular in the last three years. There's a couple of easy ways to keep yourself safe. Never do it on your own. Um, check local weather conditions and where possible uh, if you can go to a lifeguarded beach. Uh, lifeguards have started in Lahinchin County Clare two weeks ago and the Ornalai lifeguards are on the beaches up in Northern Ireland since Easter. So you can check with your local county council or you can check on the Water Safety Ireland website to see which location has lifeguards on this time of year. And they do start at different times in different locations. But our key message there is just think before you go to the coast or inland waterways, wear a life jacket, have some sort of means of calling for help if you do get into difficulty and call straight away if you do get into difficulty. Yes. And when you talk about inland, are there particular concerns about quarries? Because I know it's a terrible thing to say, but I mean, there's almost you can almost assume that somebody, you know, will either lose their life or, or, or that there will be concerns about something happening in a quarry over the next few weeks. I mean, it seems to happen every summer. It does, and it's it's a very quarries are a very dangerous location. Uh, just I guess like Niall said, don't light fires. I'm going to say don't go anywhere near quarries in terms of of, of swimming. They have very steep sides sides on them. They have very rarely have rescue equipment because they're commercial areas, private areas that the public shouldn't really be at. They also can have obstructions underneath, and there's no visibility in the water. We have had tragedies in quarries in Ireland and in the UK in in the past number of years. And actually, some of those tragedies have escalated where one person has got in difficulty mm. and another person has got in to help them. So never go in after someone if they get into difficulty. Phone 999 and get the emergency services. No matter where you go swimming, be it the sea or in a lake, the water is still very cold. Does that make it more dangerous? Well, I would describe the water as cold at the moment. I'm not <laughs> Listen, going to I would describe it as very cold. I would say that it's very cold 365 days of the year. But anyway. Well, I suppose it's all relative. But I mean, people are swimming all year now in Ireland, um, especially since COVID. It's really mm. taken off. You have groups around the coast swimming in four degrees in January. The water's about 12 to 13 degrees now. Yes, it is cold and one of the dangers with cold water is cold water shock which is a condition that can affect people when they accidentally fall into water. Most people who call a lifeboat uh, you know, nobody who calls a lifeboat plan to do it in advance. So if you fall into water and and you suffer from that cold water shock our advice is to float rather than try and immediately get back to safety. You need to concentrate on your breathing. And if you go onto our Ornalai website and or even Google Ornalai float message, you'll see great videos and information about that. Killian O'Kelly talking to Rachel English for Morning Ireland. And on today with Claire Byrne, Leah Ford is a 10-year-old girl with no school place because of a lack of medical support for the past 122 days.
Ten-year-old Leah Ford used to go to school to St. Paul's Special School in Montanati in Cork, but since October of last year, Leah can't attend because there isn't enough nursing support in place for her. Her parents and the school principal have been trying to get the HSE or a government department to tell them when Leah will be able to return to school, but they haven't been getting satisfactory answers. Well, Michelle Ford is Leah's mother and Anne Hartnett is the school principal and they both join me now. You're both very welcome. Michelle, I want to start with you and find out a little bit about Leah. Tell us about her condition and what her needs are. Morning, Claire. So Leah was born, she's 10 years ten years old now. She was born in 2013 with a rare chromosome disorder. So there's, there's nobody like Leah in the world. I haven't found one single person with the same condition as her. And unfortunately for Leah, um, she is severely affected by this condition. She can't walk or talk. Um, she's fed with a tube through her stomach. Um, she's got issues, medical issues from the top of her head to, to literally her baby toe. Because of this condition, um, she's got severe scoliosis. She's had rods replaced or she's had rods inserted into her back due to severe scoliosis. And she suffers greatly with her lungs, like her lungs would be one of the biggest issues that Leah has. So she's been in hospital multiple times with pneumonias and she's ended up in ICU in Dublin and so on. So it's keeping her lungs safe is the main the main mm. um, issue that we have and a lot of keep her safe. A lot of her needs, I know, are looked after at home. And when she's in school, she, she doesn't need too much nursing support, but she does need to be fed during the day when she's in school. Just to explain to us the level of care that she needs in school. Okay, so Leah, um, pre-COVID, Leah was on uh, the, fed by the tube, but she was fed the, um, a special milk formula that comes from the chemist. And that would be um, given to her via pump. And a lot of the kids in St. Paul's would be on this m- method of feeding. But um, during COVID, when we were at home, Leah was very, very sick with her lungs. And I was at my wit's end and I just woke up one morning and I said, you are going to have porridge for your breakfast. And I blended the porridge with a banana and gave it to her down the tube. And I gave her her lunch, soup and brown bread, gave it down the tube, no issues. And I gave her stew or something for her dinner and there was no issues. And that, I never looked back. You know, after COVID, when I felt the time was right to send Leah back to school, I had to go up, get policies amended because Leah was the first person to be on the blended diet in St. Paul's. So we got the policies sorted and then... I had to go up to the school to give training to the teachers and the SNAs um, to show them how the blended diet is administered. And then everything was good to go. And Leah went back to school and she was in school for maybe three weeks. And then I was told that um, she could no longer go to school because it wasn't the SNAs or the teachers role or responsibility to feed Leah the blended diet by the syringes. But it doesn't take like for Leah Every morning, once she's up, you give her. We give her her meds. She's on about ten meds every morning, so she gets them. She'd have them got before she goes to school. She would have her breakfast in the morning. I'd give her a bit of her breakfast before she gets on the bus. That's that's the way it would go. Um, and then she gets to school, and she'd need maybe um, maybe four syringes of her breakfast just to, because I wouldn't like to feed her too much before she gets on the bus in case she got sick because she's on the bus alone for half an hour, you know. Mm-hmm. And then then um, she'd get, need another um, meal at about half 11 and then she'd need her lunch at two 
Um, she's she doesn't need to get any meds in school as such. They're only morning and evening, and she would need suctioning if if she, you know. Sometimes she'd have secretions. She would need suctioning from time to time, um, where they suction her nose or her throat, because um, Leah can't bring up secretions herself. And then Claire spoke to Anne Hartnett principal of St. Paul's Special School. And Anne, you might tell us a little bit about the school. How many children do you have there who need nursing care and how many nurses do you have? Good morning, Claire. Um, we have 97 children in the school and it caters for uh, children with a moderate intellectual disability and also children with a severe or profound intellectual disability. So of those 97 children, we have 48 children in what we call the special classes and that's for children with a severe or profound intellectual disability. And of those 48 children... 24 would need direct uh, nursing supervision for one reason or another every single day, right? So for, if you like, the school is split in two regards, nursing support. So there's one full-time nurse for those 48 children, right? And then we have 0.3 of a nurse for the other 49 children. And 0.3 means that she's with us, that second nurse is with us for um, a third of her time because she also goes to two nearby special schools, uh, they're very close by Scullena and Skull Bernadette. So in essence, we've 1.3 of a nursing post. Mm-hmm. And we have, and obviously since this happened with Leah, the last thing we want is for any child to be out of school. But because of the specialised feeding, she does need the attention of a nurse in school. And because we had previously been looking for an additional nurse, um, we knew that it was more urgent now than ever. So we had, and our service providers co foundation and they're absolutely outstanding. And as, you, as I'm sure you're aware, they're, like everywhere else, are desperately looking for additional staffing as well. So um, I, if you like, what should happen is the nurses that we do have are funded by the HSE. That funding is given to Cope Foundation and they act as the clinical governance for the nursing in the school. So we knew the Cope Foundation were to the wall, right? So the Board of Management, we said we'd go straight to the HSE. And we went to the HSE and we spoke to the Disabilities Service Manager there and he assured us that he was the decision maker and he came back and said, no, it wasn't his remit, right? So then, of course, we contacted um, the Minister for Special Education and Inclusion and we contacted uh, and she said, in, in, in essence, right, because this was happening over weeks and every single day that passed was another day that Leah was out of school and it's actually 122 days now that Leah is with out school. But what it boils down to is that um, it appears it is the HSE's responsibility. And to be fair to the Minister, to be fair to Josefa Madigan and Anne Rabbit, um, we had been told uh, Josefa Madigan had said, no, it's Stephen Donnelly who said, no, it's Anne Rabbit. You know, it was just a vision. Around the houses. Around the houses. And it's just every single day is another day that Leah's without school. Mm. Uh, As somebody who wants to educate children and in particular children with special needs like watching this situation unfold over 122 days must be incredibly difficult for you never mind Michelle 
Well, you see, this is the thing. It is beyond frustrating and for all of the staff here. And I suppose as the principal, I know that there are going to be more Leahs, if you know what I mean. There are other children out there who will be in this in a similar circumstance for different medical reasons. Um, the nurse that we do have, she was, um, there was a nurse employed when there was two classes of children with, uh, for children with uh, severe profound intellectual disabilities. There's now... Um, eight classes and it's still the same nursing staff. So very you know, difficult for that for that member of yeah, staff as well. Absolutely. Michelle, absolutely. Michelle, just in terms of how this affects Leah, I mean, when we look at this and when we see what she's been through since October, it's like being back in the depths of COVID again for you and your family. I know. And we were so excited to get her back to school, to get her a new uniform and to get her back on the bus. But all her, like, you know, she loved getting the bus even though Leah can't talk, you'd know, you know when she's happy and when she's not happy. And every morning she'd get on the bus and the, the kids that could talk would be, you know, admiring Leah's bow or asking her how she was and Leah'd go off beaming on the bus. Um, and now she's back looking at the four walls of the house day in, day out. It's like Groundhog Day for her. And it's like Groundhog Day for us as well, to be honest with you. And it's just not fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, she shouldn't be surrounded by adults every day. You know, that's not fair. And Claire had a response from the HSE. We got on to the HSE, the Department of Health, the Department of Education and the Department of Children about the appointment of an additional nurse to St Paul's to allow Leah to return to school. We have a response from the HSE under the guise of the Cork Kerry Community Healthcare uh, Group. Now let's just go through this. It says it recognises the importance of participation in education for all children, particularly those with additional needs. We sincerely regret that any child with complex needs would need to wait for supports to allow them to participate in education. Now they say they're pleased to confirm that the COPE Foundation will be providing additional nursing supports to St Paul's School. We anticipate that this will facilitate Leah's return. We're aware that the COPE Foundation have identified a candidate for this position following a recruitment process. Now Anne, you must be pleased to hear that. That means that that appointment is coming. But the problem is there's no timeline there for Leah. So we don't know whether this will be in place in September for the return to school. And Claire, the other problem is it's that, in fairness, that funding would be coming out of Cope Foundation's own fund. And they're a charity. This, like this, this is, if you like, Cope Foundation. And as I said to you, they are outstanding. But that's letting the HSE and the Department of Education off the hook. And that's not right. Yeah, there's I nothing in there the, about where that money is coming from. Exactly. Exactly. And it's certainly not coming from the HSE. And so that's not fair on Cope Foundation, you know, because as I say, no, don't get me wrong. It is it would be amazing for for Leah to have Leah back to school. And that that is what we want. Um, but I noticed that they also didn't say about the pilot nursing scheme, because every response that I'm getting is about a pilot nursing scheme, which has been um, arranged by the Department of Education and the NCSE. And again, it's wonderful. And we applied for that pilot nursing scheme for Leah. But we were told that because Leah's home nurses are Jack and Jill and that because they're not HSE nurses, that she was she was refused that application. Now, we have we have spoken specifically with the National Council for Special Education and with the Department of Education. That was utterly unfair because those Jack and Jill nurses are partially funded by the HSE. You know, it just doesn't make sense. And I got word yesterday that they are now re-looking at the criteria. 
which is fantastic, and that's brilliant, that, um, because, and that would also enable Leah to come back to school, um, which is the main objective. Yes, and uh, I suppose, again, uh, as principal, my, my concern is for all of the other children that mm. are coming up. A return know? to school, Michelle, but it needs to happen quickly. Like, you're 122 days now with Leah at home and not getting all of those lovely benefits that you spoke about. No. I'm sure you're hopeful when you hear that statement, but are you concerned that there's no there's no date in there? There's no guarantee or commitment no, to have Leah I've, back? When we were in the front of the examiner, there was um, a bit of commotion a day or two following that, but nothing came out of it. And I feel the same here. Until something actually happens, I'll believe it when I see it. I'm going to shout from the rooftops for the next four weeks, um, do whatever I need to do, um, to get Leah back to school and get a date um, in place for, for when she can return. And I need that date to be September. Michelle Ford from Today with Claire Byrne. And on the Ray Darcy show, sun's out, so there's talk of 99s. If you're out Dunleary Way, good news for you. Gafolas. Gafolas on Dunleary East Pier. They're offering 99s for 99 cent. What a deal. That's a big deal. Um, so I've just we just did a little bit of a ring around. Uh, Noel, who we had on last week from his ice cream van, uh, Tiger Ice Creams, uh, he sells a 99 at 250. Teddy's out Dunleary Way in Dublin, they sell their 99s for three euro. And Caraboyle, whereabouts is Caraboyle? Uh, in Ballinasloe are selling a 99 for 230. Is that the cheapest 99 ice cream? In this country. Uh, so 2.30, Caraboyle, 99. Um, because there's going to be a, a lot of 99s consumed over the coming days because they're saying it could push into next week and they're talking about a heat wave, ladies and gentlemen, a heat wave. The definition of a heat wave is five days in a row with temperatures 25 degrees centigrade or over. Uh, that's the definition of a heat wave in this country. Um so they're talking about tipping a heat wave over the coming days, which is great because we're going into a long weekend and we'll be able to plan. That's the thing, isn't it? <laughs> 2.20, Mays, Kildimo, County Limerick. Um, I had a, <laughs> a massive 99 in Shercock in Cavan an hour ago. Gorgeous. Two euro, says Richard. Now we'll have to verify that, Richard. Uh, two euro, that's, well, that's coming in at the cheapest one so far. Dunphy Shop on the Cork Road in Waterford selling 99s for one fifty. Um, Mick walking up uh, Juice uh, Jouse sorry Jouse Mountain in Wicklow I had one last Saturday so that's 150 again we'd have to verify that uh, Dunphy shop on the Cork Road in Waterford Roach's service station in Rosslare Road Wexford sells 99s for 2 euro including sprinkles and topping sauce says Helen in Morantown in Wexford 170 County Kildare Circle K We've been 150 there on Dumphy's. That's that's going to be hard to beat, I think. Uh, like everything, the price of 99 is reflective of quality. If you pay less, you get icy, not creamy ice cream. I made mint chocolate chip with my home economics students a few years ago. Delicious. That's Noreen. Uh, thanks, Noreen. And my local ice cream van always serves 99s with an umbrella because there is always a chance of sprinkles. Hey, Sean Curry Swords by the sea. Uh, it's lovely out there today, I'd say. Sean, looking out at the island. Uh, Duffy Super Value Balladrine, a 99. Wait for it, lads. One euro. One euro. We put a call into them and, say, and, and verify that. We'll verify that. Thank you very much. We'll verify that. Uh, okay, so, uh, so far, it's Duffy Super Value Balladrine. Uh, it's coming in one euro for a 99. 
Uh, and we have Martin Canny from Duffy's Super Value and Balladrine on the line. Hello, Martin. Ray, how's it for Not too bad. There's there's vicious rumours going around that you're selling 99s for one euro. We are, Ray, but not not every day. So we do them for special occasions <laughs> uh, at a euro. <laughs> what, 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 how do you define a special occasion? Paddy's Day is the first one we kick off the season on Paddy's Day. Okay. A green, a green 99 for a euro. Right, fine. So right. we had them at Easter as well. We've right. done them at the start of the, the hot weather there. We've done three days of them at a euro you? as well. Right, okay, yeah. And when's the next one? Or do you just decide on a whim? On a whim. It's on a whim, right. We decide if, we, if we've got a, a good feeling that people's tongues are out looking for a lick, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> satisfy them. Right. So say, for example, next Monday now. if You know, bank holiday Monday. Um... People are off. The sun's shining. We're heading into a heat wave. Would that would that classify as a, a special occasion? Heading into a heat wave. Sure, we're in the we're in the middle of it. We're in the middle of it. Yeah, which, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, the, yeah. That could be a special occasion. Right. But we'll have to see if the whim hits us next Monday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Martin Canny of Duffy's Super Valley in Ballinadrain on the Ray Darcy Show. And on the live line in the afternoon, busy times at Dublin Airport means parking issues for people heading out of the country. Joe was speaking to some homeowners near the airport, letting people use their private driveways for a fee. In the last few minutes, the Dublin Airport Authority have said that nearly 500,000, half a million, people will travel travel through Dublin Airport this coming weekend. Now, given that the CSO announced this morning that the exact population, as of about a year ago, obviously, when, when the census was taken, is 5,149,139, obey percent on the previous uh, four years, that means nearly 10% of the Irish population is leaving the country this weekend. And the big issue that uh, the DAA don't address, but they do alert people to, they say if you haven't booked parking, which is extraordinarily expensive. I saw somebody the other day saying his parking for a week costs more than his Ryanair flight. But anyway, if you haven't booked parking, don't bother trying to get your car next or near the airport. We don't have the Metro, the Lewis or anything like that to the airport, like most of our capital cities have. Uh, we have a, a bus service, which runs from various parts of the country but it's invariably uh, full though you should check it first but there is a a system called which the DAA should actually advertise it's called Park PNP now it's a private company and some genius came up with the idea you know the smartphone in your hand is now the computer in your hand it's not a phone anymore and um, it allows people to go onto a website called Park PNP and you can pick a spot near the airport, but the thing is, the spot is invariably, not always, the spot is invariably someone's driveway. Now, Linda Lawler, Linda, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. How are you? How did you get involved with Park P&P and how does it work? Well, back in 2019, I was retiring that summer hmm. and one of my sons suggested, you know, we have quite a large drive, it's wide and it's long and it's on the... Swords Road, which is the main road to the airport. Okay. And basically, he made the suggestion, why don't you investigate maybe, you know, offering the space. Yeah, great to idea. people, rent it out, whatever. So I went in and I Googled and just found Park PMP, mm-hmm. the app, went in and got kind of sucked in, answered all the questions, 
and, um, you know, signed on. Initially, I didn't hear anything for a while, and then COVID hit. Okay. And I forgot all about it. But then, we say, early last year, the next thing I started getting, a request. So, okay. basically, how... Yeah, sorry, Joe, go ahead. No, tell us how... Everything is done through your phone, I presume. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, tell us. Yeah. You, you get a request. Yes, and I either accept or reject the request, you know, okay. depending on whether... You know, there's availability in the drive. Okay. If I accept the request, I'm informed of the person's name, their registration number, okay. and obviously the day and the time they're going to arrive and leave. Linda, um, the, the, the money. Do you mind me asking about the money? How, who, how do you charge a fee? How do you, how well, do you, when, how do you compute the fee? Well, when I sort of. In, went in, first of all, I, you can see on Little Map other people in the area that are doing it. And I just sort of pitched, you okay. know, in and around to make it, um, you know, obviously compa- compa- competitive. Sorry. Yeah. So I, I, on the site, it will say that I think it's 725 per day is the charge. Okay. Now, I get 525 or roughly that and P, Park P&P get the other couple of euro as a commission. Linda there. Then Brendan called Joe. Are you involved? Are you using the app Park P&P as well? Yeah, I'm Joe, yeah. I've oh. been using it for about six or seven years or as long as it's going, I think. Okay, so, so tell us how you came across it and how you register. Is it very straightforward? Yeah, a friend of a friend knows the guy who launched the app, so... I suppose I got in at the very beginning. Um, I don't remember exactly what you have to do to register, mm-hmm. but I don't remember there being any issues. I think it's very straightforward. Very straightforward. Because you're filling your, filling your details the same as you would on anything else for any kind of online service yeah. like that. And as, as, um, as Linda just pointed out, remember, in the world we live in, with Google Earth, with the air codes, with Google Maps, with sat-navs, one, you can put up a photograph of your. Uh, you can, one, you can check the address yourself when you if you go to book the space. So, um, are you near the airport? Well, I'm. I'm, I'm cl- quite close to where Linda is. I think um, we're serviced by those buses too. Um, right. And it, yeah, like you know, the, 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 I don't. We don't know what people are using the, the spot for, but I assume some of it's for the airport for sure. And. Like I spoke to your researcher and he was asking, has it increased? And there has been an increase since Christmas and it probably is something to do with the parking all right, yeah. And if, just, Brendan, have you ever met any of the drivers? I don't think I've ever seen any drivers, so The car comes <laughs> and... Brilliant, brilliant. And, and the car goes and, you know, I don't be looking out now, but... Yeah, great. Uh, like pre-COVID, pre-COVID especially, you yeah. know... I'd be gone in the morning and it could come back in the evening and the car might have come and gone in that time. See, we're close to DCU as well, so sometimes okay. you have a lot of people coming up for a day needing a car, a car space, so there was that too. But, yeah, like, it's a very it's a very straightforward system and I have never had an issue, nor, uh, you know, I don't see how I could have one, really. You just park the car and you, you go. And, and, and do, you, do you go out and say, when you, as you're going past the car, do you check the reg number that it's the correct car? But how would... I do, I do, yeah. I have, just, and and yeah. that's that's always been correct, I presume. It has, yeah. Yeah, because you, you yeah. can't, yeah, okay. And, and uh, do you mind me, how much do you charge a day, Brendan? Uh, I charge seven, seven euro. Seven euro a day? Yeah. 
So yeah. for five days, it's 35 quid. Yeah. For six days, it's 42 quid. For yeah. seven, so sorry, for no seven, reason. for se there's, seven there's days, no it's four. Yeah. Okay, well, that's fine. 49 days. Compare, and this is what you're up against, 170 for the short-term car park in Dublin Airport for the same year. But you can't, get, you can't even get into that because it's booked out. People are paying 170. Well, a lot of people have no choice. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is, it is a bit, you know, we, when I'm going to the airport, I get a taxi. I don't, I don't drive, you know. We're, we're, so, we're so close. It's just not... No, it's not, it's not easy. And okay. then when you're sometimes when you're in one of these car parks on the edge, you're nearly you're nearly you're nearly closer. That's right. The car park than you're That's at the right. airport. That's right. That's right. Brendan on the live line with Joe Duffy. And on today with Claire Byrne, new rules for buskers in Killarney. John Cook spent a sunny day in the kingdom. Well, to Killarney and County Kerry next, a town that's world famous for its welcome for tourists with a lively music and entertainment scene to greet them in local venues and on the streets. So what difference will new laws on busking make when they come into effect this week? John Cook has been to Killarney to find out and he joins me now. Good morning, John. Morning, Claire. How are you? Very well. Tell us more about these new rules then. Yeah, Kerry County Council's new street performance bylaws come into effect from this Thursday, June 1st, after years of debate among councillors in the Killarney Municipal District over some concerns about busking from noisy amplifiers to long and repetitive singing sessions outside shops and apartments, as well as late night disturbances and foul or offensive language in songs, I'm told, but only from a small minority of performers. The permit from Thursday commits uh, anyone busking well, you have to have a permit, first of all, commits them to performing only between the hours of 11am and 9 o'clock at night for a maximum two-hour set in the one location in the town before moving on. Volume must be lower than 80 decibels and they must ensure their performance doesn't cause offence to anyone. I first met local councillor Niall Kelleher, the mayor of Killarney. He insists he and fellow councillors don't have a problem with busking. Rather, they welcome buskers. So I asked him what he, about what they see as the problems which led to these new laws. You have people using profanity, you might have had people who had not a sufficient repertoire of songs and singing maybe a, a fairy tale in New York over and over uh, for an entire it's day. It's a classic, isn't uh, it? it? Absolutely, <laughs> it is a classic, but uh, you know, it's great if you're there and you're walking past mm -hmm. uh, and enjoy busking, and, uh, you know, uh, but if you're inside in the shop and you are having to listen to it and repeat and repeat and repeat, then it can become a little bit tiresome. It wasn't just profanities or swear words. There was some anti-American sentiment. Was that the problem scaring off some of the tourists from Killarney? Yeah, as well? look, some of that, some of that uh, language and tone of language is not appropriate. And, uh, you know, we, we welcome everybody. The local politics, if it doesn't want to get into the politics of America. So you want to keep politics out of the music scene, but obviously artists have a right to express themselves. I don't I'm, know how they no, feel about politicians getting involved. Did you play Simon Cowell or no, carry out any auditions I, to see what, who gets it's a permit here. Certainly not. And I don't think I'd be anyway able to to do such a, a, an audition in, in any shape or form. Uh -huh. it, so it, I could apply for a permit today. I could start playing. I could just so long as I don't keep repeating the same songs, so long as I don't swear. <laughs> not to mind whether I can sing or not. The bylaws that are there are going to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. We're not going to be looking to see what you're going to be playing. That's all. None of that's going to happen. Uh, quite simply, you're signing up that you've read the bylaws that are there and, you know, there's an enforcement officer, hopefully, 
that they'll never have to meet each other and that people will be respectful of others and everybody can have a fantastic time and entertainment in our, on, on the streets. That's Niall Callagher, the Mayor of Killarney. So John, did you meet many buskers in the town and had they signed up for the new permits? I met lots of buskers on the lovely uh, sunny streets of Killarney performing a variety of acts and all talking about the permits not in the most positive light for some especially as many tell me the nine o'clock curfew will deprive them of the best money making hours on the streets. Uh, One a blues guitarist called Declan was entertaining locals and tourists with his guitar and amplifier near the old market lane off Main Street and he had just been to the town hall to sign up for his permit because he told me that as a native of the town he wants to stick by the rules that he said he did avoid in other cities where he'd been asked to have a permit in the past. As someone who's been travelling for the last few years, making his living off busking on the streets and playing in a local pub, Declan doesn't want to miss the busy tourist season in Killarney this year. Uh, I just got my busking licence. Well, it costs €30, Euro, which isn't bad, you know, but it's just more the fact that I have to, to pay to, you know, improve the atmosphere of the town is not really... And would you make much money yourself from the town, say, from the tourists passing here as a busker? Yeah, I make a, a decent living in Killarney. It's good money down here, better than most places. And no. is your music offensive to anyone then, do you think? Well, I mean, maybe to people who like to keep the town a bit more traditional they might find my music a bit more offensive because it's not the uh, you know diddly die stuff that they're used to I suppose but it's a number of things it's and a has number anyone of anyone complained genres. about your music is it too loud because you've got to be below 80 decibels under this permit now yeah oh a few. Like, what? <laughs> like yesterday um, this old lady was walking past me and she just goes wreck it <laughs> Which I she thought said was you were hilarious. making a racket. Yeah, you? she was. <laughs> you keep on playing for now anyway. It's all official. You're licensed. Yeah, licensed to thrill. That's that's it. <laughs> You're visiting from Poland. What do you think of the music? You like Poland it? As well, uh, yeah. We like Iron Maiden. You know the heavy stuff. It's nice to hear. You know, but uh, it doesn't bother me at all. What do you think of this music? I hate it. You hate it? Do you know music? I'd, I'd be gone away if my wife came back. Is she still in the shops? She's shopping. She's spending the money. <laughs> and you're sitting back relaxing, but you don't like this music. Isn't that, isn't that, wouldn't the noise of the train be a, be, be, be a grand thing in comparison? The noise of the train would be better. Yeah, ah, it's not that bad. Oh, she's worse than bad. So in Killarney, they're bringing in rules or permits and that's, uh, on and that's controlling ban, some that, of the sounds. That, that should ban him anywhere. <laughs> I wouldn't get him nearer than Castle Island. And John met another busker, Eric Goodmanson. I bumped into a man called Eric Goodmanson, who's been busking in Killarney for years and sings everything from old Irish ballads to songs about American school shootings and US gun control laws. Here's a flavour of him in action. My name's Eric Goodmanson. I'm a professional street entertainer from Scotland originally. I've lived in Killarney now for a, a good number of years. Uh-huh. And you sing? You you do comedy, stand-up, what? I entertain. That's the word I use. I, I, I entertain. I get down there. My goal is to make people smile. I'm told it's some controversial humour sometimes, is it? What humour isn't controversial? Give me an example of what I might hear from you tonight. Well, my name is Donald Trump and I'm a huckster to the core. I'm an a-hole and a shyster, but I'll never be a bore, and that's why you love me. I flip and flop when my lips move, 
I start lying, I just can't seem to stop. Well, I lie, 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 lie. Now, Killarney has a lot of American tourists. How does that go down with them? 80%. I, don't, I could, can't give you a percentage, but I know that anybody who stops roars with laughter. Very rare occasion someone will tell me, oh, that's our president, or that was our president, don't insult them. Very, very rarely, uh -huh. you know. And so. when you hear then that the permit system that's coming in, well, it's clamping down on profanities or vulgarity or it doesn't want to be offensive to any race or creed or nationality, how do you feel about that? I do feel like they're, they're using a sledgehammer to crack a walnut. Because as far as I'm concerned, volume is the big issue for busking. Uh -huh. If you're too loud, fine, you're upsetting people. Are you going to have to clean up your songs? You won't be singing those, for instance? I'll change the words. I'll change the, And people can use their imagination. Uh -huh. That's all I have to do. That's not a big deal. These things are jokes. And if you laugh, good. If you don't, walk on by. Uh -huh. you know? I, I think there's you don't a, want to offend anybody. No, so. I don't want to offend anybody. I want to offend everybody <laughs> equally, you know. John Cook's report from Killarney from Today with Claire Byrne. And in the morning, Oliver Callan was in for Ryan and his guest was playwright Georgia Miller. She had an extraordinary tale to tell about a once-in-a-lifetime trip around the world that involved a medical emergency, earthquakes and some very lucky breaks. So let's go back to 2009. So I kind of figured I didn't have enough adventure in my life when I was 30. Yeah. And um, a couple of people sort of talked me into, it ballooned, this trip ballooned. It started off with me just wanting to learn to surf and to go to Bali to do that because Le Hinch was just far too easy. And is um, Le Hinch home? No, I'm from Limerick originally. Yeah. Um, and so uh, booked this trip that ended up being a six-month multi-continent uh, round-the-world trip, solo trip. Full of adventure. You were, you were doing serious things. Yeah. So I kind of, I, I took everything, every day as I came and anything that was thrown my way, I took it. So things like uh, snowboarding, surfing, jumping out of planes, diving with sharks. I got caught between two giant crocodiles that were warring against each other and I was in a tiny little boat. Like there was wow. lots of situations I found myself in um, along the way. But amazing adventure. Like... Living the dream, really. And was it literally a dream? Because you know, sometimes people go away and they go, oh, this isn't quite all it's cracked up to be. No, know. it absolutely was the dream. Okay. I mean, initially I was terrified. I, I remember arriving in Singapore and just feeling like, what What have I done? I can't <laughs> believe I've done this to myself. This is crazy. I'm so out of my comfort zone. But as soon as I arrived in Bali, that all just disappeared. And from then on, every day was truly amazing. You achieved zen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a brave thing to do because people, I don't think, are brave enough to do that type of thing at around the age of 30. You think, well, I don't no think way. I was brave enough to do it either, but I found myself oh. there. I got talked into it. That's kind of a running theme in my life. I get talked into things and then I find myself in a place and I, right, I have to, I have to figure this out now. So <laughs> you've, you're plucked out of Limerick by your, by your head. Uh, you arrive into this beautiful place and everything is just going beautifully swimmingly. Yes. And you're, you're, this is what you want to do really forever, isn't it? Um, I, I definitely got the travel bug as I was going along. I thought I want to extend this. I want to keep going. Um, and that was the plan. It was originally a six month trip. And then I thought, right, I have to get home. I was bridesmaid for a friend's wedding. I have to get home. I'll do that. And then okay. I'll get straight back on a plane and uh, and continue the adventure, you know. But events didn't work out that way. It's either. like the oldest joke, isn't it? How do you make God laugh? Tell yes. him, tell him your plans. Yeah, tell him your plans. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah. the so bang. Yeah, so um, gradually what, what happened was I was moving at a very fast pace onto a different place each day and then um, 
I started to get this weird sensation in my hands and legs, this prickling in my hands and legs. And as you do, you just think, oh, this is nothing or I, I don't want this to be something. So I have to just keep moving on. Yeah. Um, and then what would happen is I lost the power in my legs. And uh, what I didn't realize, it was it was an ascending paralysis that started at my feet that was slowly moving its way up my body. I was making my way to Samoa. I had my, my best pal lived in Samoa at the time. Uh, she ran a surf resort there. So that was to be my last destination. Um, but by the time I got to her, I was uh, I was going downhill rapidly. So Ascending um, paralysis yes. from your feet upwards. Yes. Uh, going downhill rapidly. So what, what shape were you when you landed in, in Samoa? Um, I was in a wheelchair. Um, they they really? had to, yeah, yeah. So uh, even... Over the course of the journey to get me to Samoa, I, I deteriorated. I kept deteriorating, but I was en route. There was no turning back at that point, you Your know. The plan was a plan and you were in a denial. Uh, well, yeah. And also I was on a plane, so <laughs> I couldn't turn it around. I had oh, to so keep it's that, going. It's that quick. Um, well, it, it, it happened over the course of a, of a couple of days, okay. but I kept just... I mean, I was on my own. So my destination, my goal was to get to her. So, so bring me to the first day when you kind of sensed there's something slightly wrong here. Yeah. You're just feeling a tingling, is it? Um, it's hard to describe it. It's like it's an extreme form of pins and needles. Right. Like just a really weird sensation. That kind of thing that says to you, this is not right. Something is up here. And Oliver asked Georgina what was happening to her. So what it was, which I didn't find out till much later, was a condition called Guillain-Barre syndrome. Mm. And basically I had had a flu earlier in my travels and uh, the antigens in my body fought off the flu. And then once the flu was gone, it turned on me. So it's an autoimmune condition. Autoimmune where the body thinks your own cells are actually now the danger and starts attacking your own cells. Exactly. And so it stripped the protective layer that covered all the nerves down along my spinal cord. So all my nerves were exposed down my spine. And it's ascending. So that's the level of pain. And yes, so it's ascending. So um, uh, over the course of my week in Samoa, then with my friend, uh, things were getting progressively worse. Um, I'm in a third it's a third world country it's paradise Samoa is absolute paradise if yeah, you're can, there on can holidays Can you describe it to us because it's uh, there's such a, a dark and light isn't there the, 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 the contrast between what you're experiencing yeah. and the, the paradise out, out, outside Yeah so I go into it in the play in detail as well that um, you know as I say it's third world so you're lying you're lying on a on a mattress there's no sheets there's no pillows there's you don't get food in the hospital there's one doctor oh, this is when you're in hospital with, oh, your, sorry. with, your, with your friend aren't you your friend yeah. lives in was so living my in friend at the time lived in Samoa yeah so they pick me up from the airport I jump out of my wheelchair and throw myself on my luggage trolley because I'm so Irish. I don't want them. I don't want to put them out. I don't want them to know how sick I am. (laughs) And so um, we get to their resort. And then over the course of that night, it was really evident that um, uh, I needed hospital treatment. Your friend had a surf resort, was yes, it? Yes, yes, okay. yes. And they obviously, uh, also being Irish, said, you need to get to a hospital. Yes, which but, we did. Which and then when, did. I, when I got to the hospital, the conditions there were just horrendous. So I spent, I spent one day there. Uh, I was really dehydrated because I was in so much pain. I couldn't eat for a couple of days. So mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of the pressing concern at the time was like, right, get some fluids into her. And um, yeah, so once, once we had done that, 
I was there for one night and I just thought this is not this is not where I want to be. There was there was feral cats climbing along my bed. Go away. There were um, you know, my friend said to me before she left, she was like, Don't nobody knows what they're doing here, so don't let them give you any medication. But I had an IV in my arm and I'd wake up to somebody injecting something into it. Um you know, uh, another time I woke up, there was an old man with his face inches from mine, like just, you know, it was it was it was sort of nightmarish stuff. Yes, it's a complete nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> and so when, when they came back, then the next day, it was a case of get me out of here. Mm-hmm. And so we went back to the resort. We had a couple of days um, uh, where I was just making do with a giant bag of painkillers. Um, and then it escalated again and that wasn't cutting it. And so two doctors arrived uh, from Australia to stay to surf. Oh right, yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, so they were the ones who were like, "Oh no, this you're you're on a clock here." So they they one of them thought, "Okay, it could be this Guillain Barre thing," mm-hmm. and the other one was like, "I think it might be a tumor on your spine." And they weren't the frightening things that they said. What was the most frightening thing was you have to go back to hospital. And as Georgina was waiting for a plane to take her to Sydney, things took a turn. Things get way more dramatic, Oliver. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, we're on the ticking clock. It's all been arranged. The plane is going to leave from Sydney uh, to medically evacuate me Mm. uh, from Samoa and bring me back to Sydney for treatment. Um, And so this is great. And I'm counting down the hours because I'm, I'm not getting the kind of pain meds that I need to to touch the pain that I'm on or in. And um, yeah, and then nature sort of takes a hand and um, things transpire. There's I'm not a, very good. At there's a plane <laughs> that's coming to save you, basically. Yes. Isn't it? It's coming from Australia and uh, it, it does it land in some way or does it does it not? It, it can't land because the plane lands and the plane then has to take off again. Yeah. Um, so, OK, uh, basically, I wake up to my bed jumping across the room mm-hmm. um, because uh, we have some natural disasters taking place. Um, there was a massive earthquake that hit Samoa. Magnitude eight on the Richter scale. Yeah, I think it was like, I think it was 8.1 or something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's a gigantic earthquake. It's a big one. Yeah. It's a big one. It's like your your bed is bouncing. You know, so the plane is gone. Your lifesaver is gone, and you're in an earthquake. No, so the earthquake happens, the plane lands, mm-hmm. then uh, the the they leave again, <laughs> basically <laughs> because they're informed of the uh, that the earthquake is happening for the safety of the plane and for the safety of the crew. They're sent away. Yeah. Uh, so they flew to Fiji, which is a neighbouring island, and then they had to rest for eight eight hours before they could come back. And get me again. So again, that was pretty horrendous news. Georgina Miller talking about her play Free Fall with Oliver Callan in the morning. And that's it for Playback Daily. So mind yourself till next time.